Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. So, um, good, um, yeah, I'm the coordinator for pastoral ministry. I told Tom that I'd share just a few words about what I do so that you're acquainted with uh, LCMC's um, structure a little bit about what we do. So I go around the country doing workshops and working with congregations, but three C's uh, define what I do. Uh, certifications, so pastors coming into our organization who are looking to be certified and serve our congregations. So uh, that's one C. The second C is call processes, churches that are searching for a pastor. I'll help them with the, the process they use. So certifications, call processes, and the last C is conflict, when churches have conflict. And thanks be to God, that's not why I'm here. I do that a lot, by the way. So uh, I don't know of any conflict. Did you have some that you want to talk about or anything like that? Okay. But uh, actually, uh, I find some great health here. You have great leadership. We had some really good times yesterday talking about where is God leading this congregation into the future. And it's exciting uh, what we you know, talked about and some things that you'll probably hear about down the road. Uh, so I have a family back in Iowa. I'm from Cedar Rapids now. I was originally from Champaign County, Illinois. So I'm a Illini fan. Hate to tell you that we did win against Wisconsin at Wisconsin this year, which <laughs> hasn't happened for, I think, uh, some sort of several generations anyway. But um, uh, so from Illinois, but uh, went to Iowa, met my wife uh, at college there, Ortberg College. And uh, we have lived in Iowa for the last 27 years. Uh, we lived in Texas for six years and in Europe for a year as well. But we have three kids. One of them lives within five blocks, and we have three grandkids that, oh my gosh, seven and a half, four and a half, one and a half. We get to spend time with them almost every day. They're the highlight of just about every, every day that I'm at home. And then um, we also have a daughter living in Atlanta who's in the Christian music industry. So you hear contemporary worship. She does uh, some of that and works with people you know, in the Christian music industry. And then uh, my son is in Cedar Rapids, uh, and he's about to get married here in a couple weeks, and he is uh, also a worship leader at a campus church, a growing campus church in Iowa City. So we're pretty excited to have our, our kids uh, around and, and growing and watch, uh, watch, them, watch them grow. So it's good to be with you. Um, let me share some scripture reading as we get started here in... Um, you know, typically in the Easter season, there are some specific readings that tend to come up. Uh, and here's one from Acts chapter 4. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them. They testified powerfully to the resurrection. Um, and then let's go to John chapter 20, and this will be the basis for what I want to share with you today. Uh, this is a, a traditional reading on the Sunday after Easter in the church, and you'll understand why here as I read through it. Uh, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Let me just say that again. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Let me just say that again. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. 
But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've, you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other mir uh, miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Gospel of the Lord. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to start off with a little humor because I think that that's a way to get us all relaxed and ready to listen a little bit more. So um, we never know how this is going to go one day, but here's the story. Uh, this woman comes up to the, the gates of, of heaven, and here stands St. Peter. And uh, she says, St. Peter, I'd like to get into to heaven. And St. Peter says, uh, well, he says, um, sure, it's easy. All you have to do is, is spell one word. And uh, she says, what's that? And he says, love. She says, okay, uh, L-O-V-E, love. And he says, that's right. He says, come on in. So uh, he says, hang on just a second. He said, uh, the Lord just called me off on an errand. I wonder if you can stand here and do for others what I just did for you. And she's like, okay. Uh, so uh, St. Peter runs off. She stands there at the gates of heaven. As fate would have it, her husband of many years uh, comes up to the gates of heaven at that point. Now, he hadn't been that great of a guy on earth, so he's like, I'm really glad to see you standing here. And uh, he says, uh, so I'd, I'd like to get into heaven. And she says, well, that's easy. All you have to do is spell one word. And he says, what's that? She says, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> now, for you who are young, that used to actually be a country. It's called the Czech Republic now. But anyway, uh, you get the idea. You get the idea. Uh, yeah, that's right. So... Um, it's, it's great to be with you. I, I like to say this. Isn't it great that we gather as Lutherans in this place, as Lutheran Christians, let's put it that way, under the cross and saying it's, it's not because of how well you can spell or how good looking you are or how holy you've been living your life or somehow what good works you've been doing or you know, how passionately you've been living your faith. That we gather here today under the cross because of, of what Christ has done for us on Easter and he's risen from the dead and he's given us this new life now which we come and just want to celebrate. And that's why when pastor said he has risen and we say he has risen indeed, that's such an exciting you know, time uh, for us as Christians to respond to that. And I heard this is a good crowd, they're responsive. So I was at church uh, last week with my son who's this worship leader down at this campus church and and a lot of young people, by the way, it's campus church. And, um, and the pastor said the same traditional, he has risen, he has risen indeed. And he said, but I'm so excited about it today. He says, I, I just wonder if you'd join me in doing something different. And so he says, I'm going to say he has risen. And you guys just let out the biggest holler that you can. And we did that. And it was pretty exciting. And I thought, I'm going to come and do that here at St. John. So would you join me? Okay, here we go. I'm going to say he has risen. And you guys are going to just shout at the top of your lungs like, whoa. Okay, ready? He has risen. Whoa! 
Wow, I hope you guys heard that online, and I hope you're doing it online. So let's all do it together one more time. He is risen! Woo! Isn't it exciting? Imagine the joy of those early disciples when Jesus walked through the door. Do you think they said, oh, he is risen, he is risen indeed? No, they were like, what? What's going on? This is awesome. How, how'd you do this? And they're like totally not understanding. They're totally just bewildered, right? I mean, they've been locked behind closed doors. So let's talk about this passage of scripture and what it can mean, I think, for living an Easter life. As Pastor Tom said, it's not just this this once you know, a year. It's not this once to- one time. But what does it mean to live that? What does it mean, what does that look like for our life? And I, I hope you don't think I'm going to go on some kind of rant about, okay, here's three things that you need to do now in order to better your life. I, I think it's going to be the opposite of that, and I hope you'll hear me well. And the first is to open your mind to God's presence. Open your mind to God's presence. Listen to the passage of Scripture, and I think you'll see as... As it, you know, as it unfolds, what I mean. Uh, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because of the fear of the pandemic. Oh, sorry, that doesn't say that. Um, uh, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, and peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them his wounds in his, in his side, and they were, filled, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So Jesus has just been crucified, um, there's reason to fear, you know, what do we do now? Jesus passes through these doors and suddenly, you know, he's, he's resurrected. Um, reality has changed. There's transformation in the room. And maybe you can relate to these disciples because, um, you know, life has, has thrown them some, some curves. I think of us during this last year, and living behind closed doors because that's really what happened for a lengthy period of time. And then in, in various stages, we've sort of come out, you know, like the groundhog and kind of looking to see, you know, do we see our shadow? Can we, you know, how long is this pandemic going to last? You know, unfortunately, the groundhog saw his shadow and the pandemic has just, you know, continued. But here we are and we're, we're, we're still trying to figure out, you know, do I wear a mask? Do I not? You know, I mean, I'm sure that people still ask the question when they come into the church, okay, do I need a mask? Do I not? I mean, we're all still trying to figure that out. But we've been behind our masks so we can't see each other's smiles and we can only see each other's eyes. We're trying to figure what's going on in your life and we know that people are hurting. We know that. People have lost their jobs or people, you know, their, their relationships, you know, are, are broken. Um, you know, f- people are hurting as they always have been. But because we've been locked behind closed doors, we've been sequestered from each other. We haven't experienced community, life together. And, and maybe we can see that the disciples behind these closed doors we're in, in, a, in a new reality for themselves. Let's think about that for a second. And scripture always gives us a little tip off. It says they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. Why is that? The Jewish leaders, of course, had Jesus crucified. Why? Because Jesus was giving to them a new understanding of what faith life was all about from the Old Testament. They had interpreted the Old Testament this way. That if you keep the law that Moses gave, and if you keep it perfectly, maybe one day, for instance, the Messiah will finally come. But also, we'll determine who's in and who's out. Uh, You, you're a sinner, you're out. Tax collectors, you're collecting taxes against us, you're out. 
The prostitute, hmm, go, you know. Shepherds, by the way, shepherds are unclean. They're not welcome into the temple. So we could determine who's in and who's out. But Jesus comes and he tells the disciples and all the followers, God loves you. He's not mad at you for not keeping the law. He's mad about you. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you so deeply. And he sent me to tell you that. And because you can't live for the law, I'm here to do it for you. And I'm going to give my life so that as I'm resurrected, you'll know you are set free from that. So the disciples uh, experience at first this heartache. They're behind closed doors. Now Jesus appears and they're like, what is going on? What's happening? And they're excited and yet confused. I love this story um, that may help explain a little bit of it. Uh, this pastor who I knew up in northern Iowa, uh, when I was a pastor there, he wrote an article for the paper. And I happened to pick up the local paper, and you know, I didn't do it that often, but I read the story, and I was like, wow, that is good. That's like life-changing. When I've told this story sometimes, people have said, that, that story is life-changing. Um, so here's the story. He was at home with his kids. Uh, one hot summer night. Uh, he's not a Lutheran, but he was trying to teach them about grace, his kids. And, um, and so he says to the kids, I'm going to get to the top of the stairs, and you guys go to the bottom of the stairs. And if you guys can figure out how to get to the top of the stairs there in their home without touching the, the side rails or the side walls or the stairs, I'll take you all out for a little ice cream tonight. It was a hot summer night in Iowa. And so um, they got to the bottom of the stairs. He's up at the top of the stairs. He's looking down at them. They're looking up at him. And he's, they're like, you know, shaking their heads. And he's shaking his head. And they said, Dad, we can't do it. And they, he said, yes, it can be done. And, you know, they just said, Dad, there's no way. And he said, yes, there is a way. And suddenly a light bulb went off in one of the little girl's head, on her mind. And she says, I know, Dad. You come down the stairs and get us. So dad came down the stairs, individually put each one on his back, carried them up the stairs separately without touching the side rails, the sidewalls, or the stairs, and they all went out for a little ice cream that night. I love that story because it's really a picture of the difference between religion and rules and regulations and the picture of a relationship with Jesus. You know, in some world religions, it's... Uh, you know, if you keep these commandments, maybe you'll please God. Or if you live with this kind of passion, maybe when you reach heaven, you'll have seven virgins awaiting for you. Or if you live this kind of a style of life, maybe you'll reach one day nirvana or come back as a cow. And so in Christianity, this idea is, is that we're not stair climbing it's not about what you do. It's not about how you do it. It's about the fact that Jesus has come down the stairs to you. But here's the problem, even with us Christians, is that sometimes, you know, uh, you know we climb on Jesus' back and we're like, woo, you know, by the way, when you're hooting and hollering in the house of God because of what Jesus did for you, that's called worship. Woo, you know, you're high-fiving. Oh, can you believe this? This is awesome. And then, if, you know, if somebody's with you and you love them, that's called fellowship. If you tell somebody else, come on, get on Jesus' back, it's really cool. That's called evangelism. But we tend to get halfway up the stairs, and, you know, we're kind of like, um, you know, Jesus, I'll take it from here. You just go ahead. Thank you for getting me this far. And then we start climbing again. We tr start trying to prove ourselves. And, you know, you, you see, hey, God, look at me. I really am a good Christian after all. 
You know, I've been keeping your laws. I, I've been doing what you told me to do. Aren't you happy with me yet? And then we look at people around us and go, how come they're not up here with me? How come they're not doing what I'm doing? How come they aren't keeping, you know, doing things the way God wants us to do, you know? I'm getting too old to pretend to tell you guys that I've got my life together. Um, you know, in our family, we have a daughter who has Asperger's, and she had a child before she was married, and, you know, those were some rough days. We were trying to figure it all out. One day, she, uh, she just, you know, in front of our family, she just said, Dad, I suck. And I turned to her, and I said, listen, I suck. I looked at her sister, who is, you know, this perfect child, who is worship leader doing Christian music, you know. I said, she sucks. <laughs> My son, who's a contemporary worship leader in another church, and he sucks. And I'm going to try to say this to my wife, but she sucks too. <laughs> we all stand under the cross. We're not climbing stairs. And we're no closer to Jesus than you are because we're riding on Jesus' back. And so it's not about you and your uh, ability to keep the law or to perform. It's about his presence in your life. He just, I was saying at the last service, said, I've been reading about attachment theory and, you know, uh, how, um, you know, children attach to a parent and they become bonded in that bond actually is so important for the rest of their life, you know, in their, in their married life, and that bond is such an important thing. Here's the thing is that Jesus wants to be bonded. In baptism, he, he reaches out to us and wants to bond with us. Climb on my back. I love you. Just I've got you in my arms. I just want to carry you home. And, and then we get unbonded, <laughs> and we have to, you know, come again to Jesus and, and remember and experience his grace over and over and over. I uh, love this um, a uh, uh, guy who walked into a youth gathering once, and all around the room it said, uh, it said, it said, born again, and again, and again, and again. I think that's us as, as Lutheran Christians. We recognize that we're broken, that we don't come to the cross, you know, with our lives together. In fact, we, we're here because we don't have our lives together, and we need to hear again and again this beautiful word of grace. So the first is, is opening your mind to God's presence, admitting your brokenness and just saying, okay, God, I suck, I need you. Secondly, is to open your heart to his, open your mind to his presence, open your heart to his promise. So let's talk about that just a few moments. Uh, the Bible says there in John uh, chapter 20, verse 31, all these things have been written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in believing that you might live in his name. Your heart to his promise that he's the Messiah. So let's talk about where that comes from. Um, in the Old Testament, God gives a promise to Abraham, and that promise is in Genesis cha chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3, he says, uh, Abraham, he says, I, uh, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And, and we believe as Christians that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His life, death, resurrection are the fulfillment of God's promise that he would bless the world, the entire world. 
So Abraham then, in, in chapter 15, it says Abraham believed God and that was his righteousness. Now you need to catch this. Because nowhere in Genesis 12 through 26, and I dare you to go read it, nowhere does it say that, well, you know, Abraham lived a really good life and he actually really followed God closely and he did all the things that God said and then God blessed him. It doesn't say that. It never says that. In fact, it was, it was through this belief that God was going to grant his righteousness. And that in Christ is the fulfillment of that. Now, here's the problem, is that as time went along and the Israelites were given the law by Moses uh, 430 years later, that the people began to believe that if we keep these laws, we'll please God. But they were never meant to please God. They were meant to be a response to God's grace. Uh, God says, I love you. I've saved you from Egypt, and I, I, I want you to be my people. Here, here's kind of the family rules. Here's how we, here's how we live together in, in unity. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't kill, don't, you know, covet. And they begin to think that, oh, okay, we have to do that to please God then, right? Well, God says, no, I, that's, that's what I want you to do. But if you don't do it, I still love you. And I love Paul in the book of Galatians, my favorite book of the Bible, I used to say probably my favorite book of the Bible. Now I just said it's my favorite book of the Bible. In chapter 3, 17, he says, the, the law given through Moses 430 years later does not nullify the promise given to Abraham. It's so important. Because that's how we, if you miss that, you, miss, you misread the entire Old Testament. That somehow we still think, we've still got to climb stairs. Uh, Jesus, I like to used to call this Jesus plus. Uh, Jesus saved me, but you know, there's, don't forget, you still have to do this. Whenever I hear Jesus plus, I just shut down. When somebody's preaching that kind of stuff, I'm just like, okay, I'm done. Because it's the grace of God, it's the love of God, it's the forgiveness that he, the guy who created you wants to bond with you. He loves you so much that he wants to redeem you. I love the story of a little boy who uh, was making a sailboat, and he cut the wood, he fashioned it, he glued it together, he painted it, he put decals on it, he, um, his mom helped him with the mast and the sail, and, and uh, when he was done, he was so proud of this little boat, this little sailboat, he tucked it in his arms, and he said, you're mine, little sailboat, and he was so excited about it, he took it down to the local river, in the town, and um, he wanted to set it sail for its maiden voyage. So he gently set it, you know, from the bank into the water and, and watched as it floated. It sailed. It worked. He was ecstatic until it floated out of his reach or down the river, around the bend, and out of his sight. He went home dejected. A couple weeks later, he was walking downtown, and he walked by a pawn shop. And he looked in the window, and there in the window was his boat. He ran into the store and said to the store owner, he said, Mr., Mr., that's, that's my boat, that's my boat. He says, can I have my boat? He says, well, sorry, not unless you pay the price that's on the tag. So the little boy went home determined. He um, saved his allowance. He did extra chores for his mom. He mowed the lawn. He saved his nickels, dimes, and quarters until he had enough money to pay the price that was on that tag. And he ran to the store and so proudly laid it onto the, onto, onto the desk. And he said to the store owner, he said, Mr. Mr., he says, here's the money for the boat. Can, can I have my boat now? Can I have my boat now? And the store owner said, you can have your boat now. 
So he ran over and he took the boat in his arms and he was heard to say as he walked out the door, you're mine, little boat, twice over. Once because I made you, twice because I bought you back. That's what Jesus says to you and to me every day and to the people around you every day. You're mine because I made you with joy and potentiality, imagination. You're the crown of my creation, the glory of my creativity. You're mine because I made you, but twice because I bought you back. I saw the mess you were in, the sin, the guilt, the regret. And I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sin, to die and to rise so that you might live forever with me. That promise is the promise of the hope that we come to celebrate today. But thirdly, also that we're sent out into the world with. So Jesus says this to his disciples. And the third part of today's message is to open your life to God's power and his peace. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Wow. What a, a power we're sent out with to give this great gift of forgiveness, this gift of Jesus' love and grace to a world that needs to hear it so desperately. We can't have that peace without the power. So Jesus sends them. He says, I've made peace with you with God. Now I'm sending you out to make peace with others with God. But he says, uh, you know, you can't do this on your own. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells them, I want you to stay in the city until you receive power from on high. And if you look at Acts chapter 1, 8, he, you know, sends them in that way. Uh, that they're going to be his witnesses when they receive power from on high. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And so we see then at Pentecost how that's fulfilled. They you know, began to speak in other languages, miracles happen, signs are taking place. You know, many people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that early church, you know, that first couple hundred years of the church was just an on-fire church with the power of the Holy Spirit. People sharing this love and this grace and this peace through that power. Let me ask you this question. Are you tired of living a purposeless life? <laughs> tired of the toll that the treadmill takes on you? Tired of the, the futility of it all? Achieving goals that don't amount to a hill of beans? Maybe you've settled for lesser dreams or cheaper visions or, as I used to say at Kmart in the old days, for you who are young, blue light specials. It's never too late to trade in a lesser dream for the ultimate one. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, the translation that most translators have translated says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Greek really indicates 
Keep on, it's a continuous motion. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And why is that? Because we tend to leak. (laughs) We, uh, you know, we, we go along, we receive God's promise, we're excited about things, we get filled with God's Spirit, and then, you know, the worries and the fears and the struggles and strains of this life tend to poke holes in us. And we tend to, to lose that power. And so God, I just you know, pray that we would keep on being filled so that that grace can fill us, so that we can pour out that love on others because we can't do it on our own. That peace can only be given as we are empowered by Jesus. I, I was on an uh, airplane ride a couple of years ago now. Um, there was a, a lady sitting next to me who I was guessing maybe she was a, from Pacific Island somewhere. It turns out that she was from the Philippines and come to America. She's like two years old or something. And, um, but we didn't talk uh, most of that entire flight, um, except you know, just to exchange pleasantries. My wife was sitting on the other side. She was, this woman was uh, on the, the window uh, seat. And um, so as, as we got a little closer, uh, we were coming into San Francisco and I, um, I kind of looked out the window because I saw all the lights and um, she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, wow, it's really sprawling out here, you know, as we we're getting closer. And she asked me, you know, what are you doing, uh, you know, coming out to San Francisco? And I said, well, uh, we're going to a wedding. I didn't tell her I was attending a wedding because I didn't want to let the whole clergy thing get in the way of a good conversation. Uh, so um, she, I said, well, what are you doing coming out here? And she says, I'm running away. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And she said, yeah, I have some friends out here in San Francisco. I'm going to try to get things figured out. My husband is abusive. And I just said, I'm, I'm so sorry. She began to have tears. And she started sharing more of the story and Not only was her husband physically abusive, but emotionally, verbally, he had told her that she was worthless and that she had no value and that she would never have any value. And she now was in a full cry. And you could have done what I did. All I did was say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And um, when she sort of let up at one point, I just asked her, I said, I, I don't know if you know who Jesus is. And um, she was kind of, you know, it's almost like a yell, sort of. And I said, I, I just want you to know how much you are loved, how much you are cherished by Jesus, and that no one can ever tell you that you don't have any value because he loves you so much that your life has infinite value. And it looked at me with incredulous eyes. And I, um, you know, they come with a thimble, right? And we want to pour the five-gallon bucket in there. And I just said, can I just say a, a short prayer for you? And I just asked, very short, but I just asked that God would let her know how much she's loved and forgiven and free. So we got off the plane. And my wife and I went to the baggage claim. And we saw her. She had met her friends. They were on the other kind of the side of the the conveyor, and, and so um, at that point, she starts to walk over, and we've got our luggage, and she comes over and, and meets us, and she said, um, I just wanted my friends to meet you because I, I wanted to introduce them to someone who told me my life had infinite value. 
I was blown away to think that there are people living who do not know that they are loved. And they, they do not know that they're cherished. And so Jesus sends us out and says, I'm sending you with this peace. I, you're deployed. You know, Jesus officially has deployed you today. <laughs> I'm sending you, he says. Wherever you are, you don't need to go to Africa, you don't need to go to China, although those are great places to go if you feel called to go do it. But Jesus has already called you right where you're at. In the family that you live in, there's someone who needs to know how cherished they are, who doesn't know it already. There's, there's someone at, at work, there's a person in your community, in your neighborhood, maybe you're going to the store later today, there's someone who you will meet. I dare you just to, to pray this prayer and say, God, show me the person who needs to hear this love today. You may say, well, like Moses in the Old Testament, who, me? <laughs> or you may say like Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament, who said, why me? Or Jonah in the Old Testament, he said, not me. But my prayer for you today is that like the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, you would say, hear my Lord, send me. Open your mind to God's presence in your life, which is transforming. Open your heart to his promise that it's not about your performance. And open your life to his purpose, his peace, his power. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for those gathered here today uh, that they've gathered to hear your word and to experience your presence, God, in a way that can be transforming and to give them purpose and meaning for the life that they are living. Call them, God. Send them. Um, use them for your kingdom's glory that more and more people may continue to know just how forgiven and free they are in you, Jesus. Created and redeemed. Created in your image, but even more beautifully recreated in your image. And so Jesus, um, thank you for your love. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate Easter in a way that God continues to bring us hope for ourselves, but for our world and uh, for the very life we're living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.